Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and we have a very funny and resilient guest with us today. Deanna Moffitt is her name, and she, to give you a little bit of information about Deanna, as an adoptee, Deanna was raised in a chaotic home with an abusive sibling. Now, as most people do, she created a story about who she was because of that upbringing. Her two core stories were... I am alone, and I am a burden. Now, these stories made her incredibly self-sufficient and often put her in leadership positions. Her journey took a significant turn when, at age 36, she left her role as a senior project manager in the corporate world and moved to Chicago, where she performed improv comedy for 11 years years. Deanna, I'm so excited to have you on Phoenix and Flame. <laughs> At the tender age of 36, I started that. Could you believe it? Oh my God. You know, now everything I've said so far, I, I already have comments and questions for you and I want to hear more of your story, but there's a little bit more information here that I think is going to be very helpful for my listeners is that you learn the value of being fully present listening deeply, and the power of yes and, which we are going to be, I've got that bolded on my notes. We are going to be getting back to so much stuff here. (laughs) I have here that, you know, you moved to Los Angeles and then you took a deep dive into coaching and leadership development and understanding the power of our stories. And I really want to emphasize at some point, we're going to make plenty of time here because you say People tell stories about themselves that shape their lives and rarely go back to do an edit or a rewrite. And that's why you wrote your book, which we'll have plenty of time to, to get into because your, your book is called The Rewrite, Change Your Life One Story at a Time. I, as a psychotherapist, I'm so excited to hear all about this Deanna Fill us in. What? Oh my gosh! There's so, just jump in wherever you want, and let's just kind of go from there. Oh, I love it, Dana. I can I just start? I already love your energy. You just have <laughs> such a great energy on this call. So um, excited to be here with you. Yeah, you know, like a lot of us, we have um, we have a growing up that we don't have any control over, right? And through it, you know, this as a psychotherapist, your clients probably come into you all the time with. Mm-hmm. what happened in their childhood. And, you know, we process those things through the lens or the mind of a child versus an adult mind. We can look at it as an adult and look back and go, okay, they were doing the best they can. And, you know, boy, they didn't really have the tools. But as a child, you don't know that and you make everything about yourself. And so um, I think that's where our core wound stories are created. These these stories that we create, like I said, I'm alone or I'm a burden. Um, and I think my, that story of I'm a burden, you know, as an adoptee, uh, 
I think there's that understanding of that person who was forming you, right? Is you, you're birthed and then they're not there. And I think we do have an understanding now of a child's brain consciousness, right? Even though we may not have memories of that, that there is brain connections forming during that time. I recognize that, okay, I'm not going to be with that birth mother. Then I went into as an infant, uh, a childcare center here in California for six weeks where I was not taken good care of. My mom said that when she was that she was introduced to me, adopted me, my eyes were matted shut. I had tear ducts that had been clogged and, you know, no one was tending to that. All of that to say, we get these stories of I'm a burden or I'm alone, not necessarily out of reality, but out of our processing of our experiences. But gosh, you can imagine with someone going around the world with I'm a, I'm a, a story of I'm a burden, how they might act out, right? That's the yes. thing. These stories, we're acting out whether we know why or not. And so I think it's important for us to kind of become aware of our repetitive behaviors, the things that we continue to do, and what is at the core of that so that we can go ahead and do the lifelong work. And dare I say, I think it is lifelong work to rewrite that story. I, well, I agree with you 100%. Um, obviously, I'm biased with that as a psychotherapist. But, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the narratives that, mm-hmm. that we create that are birthed. The origin is when we're growing up. And the thing of it is, we can understand rationally what happened. And as an adult, we can say, I I get it, you know, but we still have that child part of us inside that has that narrative, has that child narrative of like yours was I'm alone and I'm a burden. And so then it's like, okay, what, what do we do with that? Because it's either do something with that or just live your whole life with, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm a burden, I'm alone, like you said, carrying that forward. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I worked with a coach uh, and we were working through this and, you know, I wasn't even conscious really of this story, but she, she walked me through a process of, you know, taking me back into a childhood experience and I go, Oh, I'm a burden. And so we, we talked about that and logic, you know, consciously, I don't believe that but I'm certainly acting that out of not asking for help, over-pleasing, doing, you know, way too much to prove that I'm not a burden, you know, certainly not asking for help. And we talked for a while and she said, you know, what would happen if you had a different story? And how does it feel for you to think or even begin to believe that you are a blessing? And I was like, whoa. (laughs) You know, and even just trying that on, not saying that I was, you know, converted immediately, but just trying like the the sweater of I'm a blessing versus I'm a burden allowed me to just open up and feel so much more spaciousness in my body. And then the idea of what would happen if I got to walk around the earth thinking or believing that story. So Deanna, let me ask you this. Well, t- I have two questions and you can kind of decide which one you want to answer first. But one of them is, do you feel that going through 
a lot of these uh, pathological dysfunctional experiences as children cause us to be sometimes pathologically independent because we have you know difficulty accepting help we have difficulty mm-hmm. trusting that people will actually help us mm-hmm. and and really how do we get to the point where we are where we can believe that that we're not a burden because mm-hmm. somebody can say it and we can understand it rationally but what what has your what was your experience with making that transition and also the the comment about the being pathologically independent yeah i totally agree with you and i can see how that played out in my own life of you know when i said i i often found myself in leadership positions that was putting myself there and i think that other story of i'm alone you know there's a separation that happens when you're a leader in a situation versus being among the group I like that position. I don't know that I knew how to actually function well in a group. So I gravitated toward the place where I didn't have to be in the group. I could just be, I could be the leader. Right. And so definitely uh, I can see, and I had that exact same experience of, you know, I, I can see where I have a, a detachment, you know, to believing that people will be able to come in and help me. Um, And, Honestly, I kind of, for me personally, I just really started to take a look at my life and say, I'm not really liking the result I'm getting here. I don't really like what's happening here. I would like to try something different. I want to do something different. And when I said that this whole rewriting of the story, I really do think for a lot of us, it is a lifetime experience. I I can say, still say today that there's aspects of my life where this continues to show up, where it's difficult to ask for help um, or not believing that it will show up. And so I'm constantly in the practice of acting in new and different ways, knowing that I have to get different data, right? So so that I can prove a different story. And so when I'm not asking for help, that just affirms the story of I'm a burden or I'm alone because I'm not asking for help and so no one's showing up. And so I actually have to consciously practice a different way of behaving so I can get different results that will help me support a new and different story. I really like that. Try what I'm hearing you say is trying new things, um, be, being willing to be vulnerable and to trust someone that we don't naturally want to trust because our past taught us that we can't really trust people. We can't really rely on other people. And so to be vulnerable so that, to use your phrasing, which I loved, was to collect new data, to get that new information, because we can't create a new story unless we have that that new data to be able to do it with. Yeah, we can certainly try it on. But if I don't see outcome of this different story, right, I'm not I'm just going to go back to what feels normal and comfortable for me, which is this much smaller limiting story that I've been telling myself. Hmm. Well, if let's go back for just a moment, just for, from listeners out there that possibly experienced what you described experiencing 
you know, being an adoptee and then being in a situation where it was, was difficult. You know, you had, Mm -hmm. like you said, an abusive sibling, the home was chaotic and this kind of thing. If we have some listeners out there who, who went through that, or maybe they, they know someone who, who went through that or something, what, what, what words would you have for them, um, in terms of relating and, and, and what that situation was like and how you were able to be resilient to move forward from that? You know, I think for me, uh, I felt like I was very much an observer of my life as a young person and not a full participant. And I don't know if that was the detachment part, but I very much could look at my family and think, oh, I don't want to recreate this. <laughs> like I'm involved in this and I'm watching this, but I don't want to recreate this. And that was one of the reasons why I actually wrote the rewrite for people who might be in a situation where they know they want something different and they don't know how. It is certainly kind of a primer of you know, the idea of being aware, the idea of, you know, listening to your thoughts, not necessarily attaching to your thoughts, but at least listening to them and questioning them. And part of it was because at an early age, I think I was 12 years old, I was a a voracious reader. And my mom had, my mom was, and dad were going through a divorce. And my mom had the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Now we were not religious at all. And, but I read that book and I had to navigate around a lot of the things in the book um, that I didn't necessarily understand or believe in at the time. But for me, it was like, oh, this idea, like I can be aware of my thoughts, right? And it was kind of a little light bulb for me to think I, I can really l- not necessarily re- relive this. I don't need to do this again. I can really look at my life differently and see the good in the bad. And there's bad in the good. You know, I'm now much more of a Taoist in in my thinking of like everything comes in and everything goes out. You know, you just there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing in the um the world that we if we just allow the experience to happen, learn from it if we need to, and allow it to roll off, that it just allows us to move through life so much easier. So that I, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but I, uh, for anyone else who's in that experience, who who's had an experience, and mine was a sexual abuse for my brother, um, that was, you know, it was it was really tough. But I, as you said, I really got very resilient, and I I didn't want to stay trapped in a mentality of victimhood. I was already victimized. And so I really wanted to learn how do I step out of that and see what I can create from that. And for me, it really was a much higher level of empathy, a much level, at a higher level of understanding that people have, you know, different things happen behind closed doors that we may never know about. You know, I was a pretty popular kid. I was a cheerleader and, you know, school vice president and, but no one really knew what was going on. I hid a lot. And so for me, I wanted to take a look at, I had this experience. I can't change it. So what do I want to create because of it or in spite of it? What, how do I want to live my life differently without this attachment or this anchor behind me? And so my brother, I have to say, I have a lot of empathy toward him 
we lived in the same house, but we had two completely different childhoods. So Mm. that, yeah, I hear that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you said something about wanting something different from your chaotic childhood. Mm -hmm. And, and I do hear that a lot from, from my patients and wondering kind of your thoughts on, because I'm known as the queen of boundaries and Mm. I see, I see that everywhere. I, I, I've, I've really developed a whole thing, courses and all kinds of things because I, I, I've experienced a lot of issues myself. I had some dysfunction in my upbringing as well. And then I, walked with many, many patients through, through their situations and kept seeing the boundary issues kept, just kept popping up and popping up. I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, wanting something different from your chaotic childhood and then rewriting, mm-hmm. you know, rewriting your story in your mind. Was there a time where having to set different boundaries with people that you were in relationships with came about because you were creating a new story? You were not going to keep reading from the same script that was handed to you when you were young. You were you were creating a brand new script for yourself, and which which involves you interacting with other people in a new way with a, a, a brand new script. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on how that played out, your new story, your new narrative played out with also with boundaries with these people. I love this question, Dana. And I actually love that you are the queen of boundaries (laughs) because they actually didn't show up for me until much later in life. I was married um, and I knew I didn't want to get married to this man. I knew when my dad put his arm in my arm to walk me down the aisle and he said, well, you ready for this? And I said the words, (laughs) yes. But in my head, I said, oh, divorce won't be that hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew, but everybody else wanted us to get married. Everybody else in our lives, right, wanted us to get married. I sure didn't want to get married to him. But, um, you know, that five years later, that worked itself out. And then I, I met someone else who was such a nice man. But I, again he chose me. And what I found in my long-term relationships is they chose me. And I I guess if that was well enough, that was going to be okay. Like I, I didn't have the agency to say, no, I'm not that interested in this. Okay, thanks. Let's move on. And so for me, it actually took the end of that relationship after 14 years in a kind of a tumultuous way for me to really start thinking, what do I need to do differently? Because I've now repeated this twice. I know from improv, if I do it a third time, it's a pattern and I don't need a pattern here. (laughs) So what do I need to do? How do I need to look at myself? No matter what happened and, and, you know, however he wanted to end it, I was, I was a hundred percent in that as well. So I needed to look at what was I contributing to here? And part the part that I was contributing was I was not speaking my truth. I, from the very beginning, if, if I had, I would not have been in the relationship for 14 years, right? From when he asked me to marry him, we never got married, but when he asked me to marry him, I said, oh God, okay, yeah, I'll do it. As long as you give me, as long as I want to say yes. Is that an answer? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, 14 years later, we were still not married. (laughs) So the sad thing is when he found someone else, which 
you know, okay, that makes a lot of sense when you have someone who's not fully in in the first place. I had, you know, it was it, it was a bit of a tumultuous uh, timing and and breakup, but I also felt like, yeah, I get it, buddy. I I totally get it. I have to now take a look at me and say, how did I help create this experience? And I could see I didn't have any boundaries. I I had boundaries in other areas of my life and work and things where I felt like I could do that. But in my personal, most intimate relationships, I surely did not. So I spent a lot of time and work and looking at how do I speak from my authentic truth, my stomach, even when it feels so anxious to do this. You know, I know you know this when we when we don't have never practiced this, the first time we practice it is like, oh my God, are you still going to like me? Is this still going to be okay? Am I going to be lovable as all that? And it's just been, you know, practice over time uh, in my relationships. And fortunately I have just amazing friends, which that was probably the first time I really got to practice it. You know, if I had a disruption, I could just come to them and say, Hey, I'm noticing this is happening. Can we talk about it? And they would be great. And it was those kind of first kind of steps into the water of speaking my truth and setting a boundary around how I wanted to be treated. And I can tell you, like, my relationship with my mom has transformed, I think, by being able to be much more clear and speaking my truth. And in that, that is a boundary for me. I, I don't know how you define boundaries, but my boundary is now I want to, I want to speak as authentically as I can. In, in all my situations without, you know, staying in integrity with who I, with who I am. And it doesn't always hit well with everybody, but for those that yeah. resonate with me, it's like, great, gives them the freedom to do the same. <laughs> well, and, you know, Deanna, I was thinking about your 11 years and improv comedy, and mm-hmm. I had a couple of, qu- well, a comment and a question. My comment is, oh my gosh, the guts, it must have taken. <laughs> To do improv comedy, I mean, because I try to put myself in the in the shoes of you know my guests and and what that must have felt like, and I'm really interested in your you know your opinions and and your experiences of what that was like, and also my question is the role of humor in in dealing with things that are hard, and did you find that it was that people were receptive? Did they? you know, did they get upset? You know, all that kind of stuff. I love that. Yeah. I definitely have a lens of humor. I think for a lot of people who grew up in a chaotic home, you know, you kind of, that resilience comes through the humor of just looking at what's going on in your life. Well, that's a a real shit fire. Sorry. I don't know if you could swear on here. Um, Sorry about that data. Um, And so for me, you know, the, I didn't see an improv show until I was, you know, in my thirties. And I never saw it in college. I didn't know what it was. And someone had told me, Deanna, I think you should go do this. I think you'd be great at this. I was a project manager at the time. And one of the guys who was uh, on my teams had seen some improv in Portland, Oregon. And the first time I saw a show, I was like, oh, oh, I am immediately doing this. Because to me, they just look like grown adults playing like kids. And I used to do that kind of stuff all the time. You know, I'd play uh Broadway singer on the lawn of my neighbors or play teacher for hours. And um, so for me, I was like, oh, this feels like it's in my my wheelhouse. And I immediately loved it, even though I was really terrible (laughs) in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, you think you could just 
you know, just go up there and be funny. But there are just some frameworks and rules around once you know, it allows you some freedom to play in that. But I loved it immediately. And I have to tell you, Dana, I just want you to know, you've been improvising this whole conversation. You're improvising all the time. All of us are. Good point. We none, we, none of us have a script how this conversation is going to go. And I think we forget just how creative we are as humans, that we think creativity is, you know, artistry or, you know, you're painting or sculpting, but you are creating amazing conversations every time you sit down with someone, which is a completely improvisational act because none of us have scripts in this life. And I love that, that because that really dovetails right into rewriting your story. Because mm-hmm. if you think about the role of improv, that we are all improvising, there is no really set. We're just kind of winging it. All of us are. Let's be perfectly blunt about that. You know, <laughs> we're, we're trying to do the best that we can, but we're all just kind of winging this. We don't really know. We're trying, but we're improvising. And so if that's the case, if we're in fact improvising, then why can't we be creative and re- rewrite some shit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's totally right, right? Because so often, as you think, you know, like we are handed down these stories. Catherine Woodward Thomas always says, you know, we create our stories in relationship to other people. So we have to rewrite our stories in relationship with other people, right? So we don't become out of the, we don't come out of this world necessarily with a story without anyone else's impact, right? My impact, if I'm a burden, I had a mother who was not there once she gave adoption. I'm in a care home who obviously aren't caring for me. Then I go into a chaotic home where I'm watching and observing all these things going on. And all of these experiences through my child's mind, I'm interpreting and creating stories. And so it's really important, I think, for us to be in relationships with a good therapist, with a good coach, with good friends, with family we can share our experiences with and help us recreate our stories. I don't I don't know if we can do it alone. I think we have to have people beside us helping us along the way. Yeah, I would I would agree. It's so much easier that way and sometimes we can't really get out of our own narrative without someone mm-hmm. else kind of providing a different point of view. Yeah. And you bring out something really important is that those original stories were created from a child's point of view. Yeah. And so that that child only has a very finite understanding of the whole scenario. And so when we as adults get to go back and kind of challenge that and give grace to our child mm-hmm. self and yeah. say, honey, I understand why you thought that. I understand why you interpreted it that way. That makes perfect sense. But I want to add a few other pieces that maybe you weren't aware of because you were just a little thing, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm an adult now, you know, so I, let me add a few other pieces to the story here and let's, let's create some, let's do something together. You know, my, my child, you know, my child self and myself, let's, let's create this, a new, a new story. And I think that's what you're doing. This, this yeah. rewrite. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I didn't go too deep into the core wound stories. You know, I broke the book into kind of three different sections and I talk about the core wounded stories and I'm a coach. So along the way, there's questions that I invite people if they're ready to take on. Um, And then I talk about our present day stories, those emotional experiences that get us hooked that, you know, we're screaming in the freeway or we're arguing with a complete stranger in the grocery store. We don't, we don't understand why. Right. But it's those 
experiences our, our body is flooded and we have emotions and we're supporting those emotions with our thoughts, that whole cycle. And then I talk about our future stories and the stories that oftentimes people either have no story, you know, they're just adrift a bit, or they have catastrophic stories. But what happens when we create a story of our future or a relationship with our future self that is, you know, almost pulls us into a future that we want to be living? I, I think that that relationship with our future self can be really powerful. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. Now I, I've got a question I wanted to ask you said in your experience, what are some common misconceptions people have about rewriting their beliefs and narratives? Um, I think once they learn, they have some old outdated stories. The first one is they think they should be able to rewrite it immediately. Like, Oh, I don't want this story. I, I should be able to just flip the switch and I think people don't realize, oh, we've been telling this story for the, as long as you've been alive or longer, right? It's ingrained. Our brain really has this one on lockdown. So, you know, we have to first identify what's the new story we want to be and creating that. Like, what is like, I'm a blessing, right? But part of it is uncoupling those, those connections in our brain to begin a new connection. And so that is not something that happens overnight. I think I give an analogy where I think people think that change happens like we're helicopters and we just flip the switch and we're off, we're up in the air and then we start flying. But (laughs) my friends, we are the 787 Dreamliners with a full belly of luggage and full passenger list. And we're going to take three miles (laughs) to get off the ground. And it just takes an understanding. And so I think some compassion is really required, some self-compassion to ourselves. And just as you were talking to that small inner child of all of us, of like just some passion and gr- compassion and grace as we begin kind of uncoupling and what I like to call unfolding into this more truer, fuller version of ourselves. I think also people think for some reason carry some sort of shame around having these stories. And the truth of the matter is, I mean... I think most of us have them at some level and they may not even been created in childhood, but it can be happen through a disruption in a relationship and, or a, you know, a, a complete uptail in a career of like, they don't necessarily need to happen in one instance as a child They can happen in multiple little dings that you have during your life. And all of a sudden, Oh, these external experiences I'm believing them to mean something about myself that makes me feel smaller or makes me feel like I can't live fully in integrity with who I am because this external world is telling me something about myself. And, you know, we've got to really challenge those thoughts. I think the world wants to keep us small. I think the external world wants to keep us in a place of compliance. And I say that in a big generic world, I I have no... I'm not saying anything in particular, but, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a, an opening to a, a more truthful voice that I think is really internal, but there is an external voice that can sit on top of that, right? That isn't necessarily yours, but it is the experiences, the world, the, the, um, the things that you've gone through that are carrying a voice that isn't yours. I, I 
I come from an understanding in a place that your internal voice speaks in love. And if it's not that, then it's not your voice. And I so like that. you figure out what is that voice. I like it, that a lot. Yeah. So I, what I'm hearing you say and, and what I resonate with so much is getting to a place where we give ourselves permission to tell our truth. Mm, yeah. Where we drop shame away. Mm-hmm. We just let it go. And we step into our own and we tell our truth. Mm-hmm. And also along with that, when we do that, because I've done this, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm the queen of boundaries is because mm-hmm. once you tell your truth, there are other people who will accuse you of being things. I've been accused of being unforgiving, mm-hmm. uh, hateful, um, unkind, mean, a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to get to a point, like you said a few moments ago, kind of challenging those accusations and kind of sitting with those and asking myself, am I in fact unforgiving? Mm-hmm. That I wanted to be able to answer that question myself, not mm-hmm. letting someone else decide that for me, but they were hurling that at me, but I had to make a decision. Well, am I? Am I unforgiving? Am I mean? I have to be honest. I can be a bitch sometimes. That's totally true. <laughs> so great I, awareness. I had to great give awareness. Him that one. <laughs> I gave him that one. Um, you know, you have to. You have to just like accept the stuff. We're not all little angels walking around. So I, I can't be a bitch sometimes. That's totally true. Um, yeah. But you know, the other stuff about am I this mean? hateful, unforgiving, unkind person. And I just kind of sat with that for a while. And then I decided, no, in fact, Mm -hmm. I'm not because those, those characteristics, those accusations actually only came out in a relationship with one person. Mm -hmm. And when I asked myself, did I see those characteristics being manifested in my other relationships in my life? The answer was no. So if I was all those things, then I would see those characteristics in, in virtually every relationship in my life. And it was not, it was only with one person. And then when I set those boundaries, all those accusations got hurled at me. So I love the way that you're really encouraging people to drop shame away and step into their truth and ask themselves, you know, have that, that, that loving, graceful and gracious inner part say, okay, let's, what are we? You know, Dan, when you said that, what came up for me was you were actively looking for more true and full data because you were getting one data point that was telling you you're all this, right? That you're angry, hateful, you're a bitch and all this stuff. And when that comes from a place of someone we think is on our side or we think we love or they love us, we can put more importance on that. But I loved, my friend, that you stepped away from that and you looked at the whole field of possibilities of data that are out there and realized, oh, no, no, that's just one point. (laughs) Oh, no, I can see all these other places where this isn't true. And I have completely different relationships with these people. What if I played more important or paid more importance to that data set? Is that more true for me? And I just I think sometimes we can't see the whole field of possibilities of data. And we start focusing on one data point and think that that is true because it's coming from someone we think loves us. We think 
we should be listening to. When in reality, if we look with our coworkers, we look with our friends, we look with even strangers, they're not having that interaction with us. So mm-hmm. what is happening here? Exactly. So Deanna, I'm just, I'm just loving everything that you're sharing. And I want to make sure that my listeners have a means to get access to you. If they're wanting more help rewriting their story, they feel like, oh my gosh, I love everything that she's saying. And I want to be able to do that, but I'm not really sure what the next steps are. What I have is uh, deannamoffitt.com. Is that where you would like for them to go? That is correct. And they can go right on top of there. There's a little yellow button if they want to have a, you can just have a free 30 minute conversation with me and we can just, I don't have discovery calls. I like to do coaching. So if they, someone wants to come in and have a free little coaching call, I'm happy to have a call with that. It's a lot of double letters, Dana. Dana. <laughs> two N's, two F's, two T's. You'll find me. <laughs> yeah. And guys, I will have this on the show notes. Um, so don't worry. It's going to be all in there. But yeah, there's a just a, it's D-E-A-N-N-A-M-O-F-F-I-T-T. Yes. Dot yes. Com. So like I said, yeah. two N's, two F's, two T's, and I'll get that all down. Deanna, thank you so much for for gifting us with your time and your experience and your wisdom um, and, and really sharing and blessing my Phoenix and Flame listeners with, with your presence with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I knew it was going to be a great conversation. I just knew it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, guys, I know you've heard things today that you're thinking this is absolutely amazing. And I know a friend, I know a family member, I know a coworker who absolutely needs to know what Deanna had to say. So take this podcast episode and put it on your favorite social media platforms. Even copy and paste the link in texting and email. Just get the get the word out there, get the information that Deanna is sharing out there to other people, grow our Phoenix and Flame community so we can reach out and really connect with each other and help each other on this walk of life that we're doing. I hope you've had a wonderful day and I hope the rest of your day goes fantastically. I'm Dana on Phoenix and Flame. <music>